Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I am joined by the Professor Ben Jarman. Hello everyone. And Mr. WKD himself is Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. It's a little bit of trying times. No Fulham for almost two months now. Dom, you must be absolutely delighted. As I said, I haven't missed football, so it's been fine. I've not, I've no, I've no interest in watching the Bundesliga when it returns because both the German teams I like are in the second division anyway. So, oh, look at you! Of a podcast of hipsters, you've actually decided to go full hipster straight away. I would say choosing Hamburg is very hipster. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Ben, how have you been holding up? Yeah, good actually. Uh, I've been doing a lot of cycling. Um, for those of you that actually care to look at my tweets, I've been just banging on about how much I cycle, really. Yeah, you're doing um, some serious kilometres. So yeah. yeah, so I've done just over 450 in the last month. So, yeah, legs are getting a bit, you know, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I just haven't got a bike, so there's there's no way I would be doing that. But it's it's been an interesting. I don't think time. I would if I had one. No, you. I mean, you wouldn't do anything, Dom. You you very rarely you know, ever show any enthusiasm about anything apart from darts. But anyway, no, we're going to try. The Champions and... League about four different teams with football manager mate. So I think you need to. Dom, I've seen you do physical down. activity. You get tired after about thirteen and a half seconds. Uh, it's twelve. Oh, fair. There we are. There we are. Look, we're going to change things around today. We're going to try and fill your time by building something of a monster ourselves. In fact, we're going to create a Frankenstein footballer based on all of Fulham's players, let's say for the last 20 years, because ultimately I don't think any of us are going to stretch too much further than that in our immediate knowledge bank. So that's where we're going for now. Ben, how tough has it been, before we reveal these categories, not to put Josebed in every single category? Like it has been so difficult. Literally, I was going through all the categories earlier, and I just thought there's one player that completes every single one, and it is the man Hosebed. Um, I think is probably the closest that Fulham are ever going to get to a Ballon d'Or winner, to be honest. And Dom, have you just stuck Carlos Bocanegra for everyone? Yeah, him. It was between him, David Healy, and Stephen Davis. They they pretty much make the perfect footballer anyway. So I don't see why we need to pick anything else. Okay, well, let's break this down. We are going to pick eight categories today. Vision, heading, left foot, right foot, pace, dribbling, passing, and physicality. And without further ado, I'm going to start things off in vision. And I'm going to throw to you first, Dominic Betts. Uh, I just went with Danny Murphy. He was sort of the first player that, that came to mind. And I think when, 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 I presume when you two were doing this as well, it was quite hard to pick a different player in each sort of category because, I mean the really good player category we've had over the last 20 years. <laughs> there isn't, there isn't, isn't, isn't exactly a 30-40 man list here. But um, no, for Vision, Danny, Danny Murphy came straight to my mind when I chose him. I think you know you can look at some of the games he played and some, some of the passes he played in crucial games. And I think you know when it, came, when it comes to Vision, for me, I think Danny Murphy was, the, was an obvious answer and that's probably why he's first come to my mind. Ben? Uh, I think for me, it's probably um, a little bit of a toss-up between Murphy, as Dom says, and then Kenny. I think for, for me, I automatically think of someone who's in the heartbeat of that midfield, um, or like a number 10 role, and I think Kenny does that well. I'm also reluctant not to use Kenny up pretty early on, so I've, I'm also going to go with Murphy there, because I can. There, there are so many better players for other categories, but Murphy was the one that stood out in terms of his vision. I think, obviously, the pass for... Davies uh, in the semi-final uh, of the Europa League was was a massive plus point for picking him in the vision category. It's a superb pass. So yeah, Murphy for me. 
I think I've thought a lot about this and I love Danny Murphy at Fulham, but something that never kind of sprung to mind was him, you know, slide ruling passes beyond the back four. And I was thinking about kind of what vision meant. And, and someone that sprang out to me was Ross McCormack. Mm. And I know it's difficult to pick players from years in the championship because it feels difficult to, you know, justify when we've had such a stint in the top tight. But when I think about Ross, he used to just finish from obscene angles. He used to look up and just instinctively know where everything was. And if it wasn't a pass for his strike partner or players around him, it was often like, oh, I'll just look up and chip the goalkeeper. Or from free kicks, he'd often hit the, the near post, keep the, catch the keeper unawares. And all of these things that kind of always sprung out as he's just got like a third eye on the game. He knows where players mm. are around him. And so for a couple of more suggestions, I, I thought Klaus Jensen potentially was a, was a dark horse in here. We obviously got him in the twilight of his career. But what a player and I think that one of the the standout memories of, of his time and thing is is him just sort of roaming around with his big bald head and, and controlling the midfield and so <laughs> I don't I mean I'm surprised because I, I know you're a throwback merchant and, and I'm surprised that Klaus Jensen didn't at least get a look in for you yeah Klaus Jensen I he did get a look in but I feel like because Danny Murphy sort of popped to my mind straight away I feel like it would make the most sense to choose him I guess if you know Klaus Jensen I do think he's underrated to an extent when you know we talk about the best midfielders Fulham had in the Premier League era because you know that that whole sort of Coleman team I feel like doesn't not necessarily gets forgotten about but obviously everyone you everyone talks about you know the Tagana promotion side the Hodgson's Europa League team then moving ahead to Slav's promotion side but I do think you know what Coleman did with 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 the Fulham team especially during his his earliest age of his Fulham managerial career it sort of does get lost yeah potentially uh, ben, was there was there anyone else that jumped out for you apart from from Danny Murphy? Well, obviously you've got the captain of the current side, Kearney. Um I'm always impressed with K Max Vision because I think he's a kind of guy that likes to keep the the uh, possession circulating. He's always good at picking a pass. It doesn't necessarily like for me. I think uh, you have a clear definition where you look at slide rule passes and, and passes in behind and finishing. And I think. Mine, when I think of vision, it's traditionally someone that sits a little bit deeper and maybe just sees things that other people don't. They like to stretch a play, so I, that's why I like that's why I like McDonald's vision as well. I think we've had a couple, but nothing nothing that really stands out to the to the guys that you've suggested. Okay, let's move on to heading, uh, and this feels like a two horse race. Dom, which of the horses have you gone for? Um, so there's a couple which I've which I'm which I've been sort of semi undecided with, but the heading of which came to straight away, obviously, with recency bias, but then also next to him, competing with, obviously, Brian McBride. And I'm think, thinking about it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard because you, you see Mitrovic being this tall physical prince in the box. But if you, if you think about it, it's not like he scores a predominantly a huge amount of his goals with his head. So it's, it's a tough one for me, but I really just want to include him in the side and I don't have him in for anything else. So I am going to stick with Alexander Mitrovic. Ben, did you go the other way? Um, I don't know. When I had my list down, I had I had four obvious standouts. Um, I had McBride, uh, like Dom did. I had Mitrovic um, as well. And then I had, uh, obviously, you had the Thames barrier of Hangland and Hughes. And then oh, okay. I think there was a couple more that, that I wanted in there. Like, just looking for a couple of lists of players that I had written down. There was also Matt Smith, who... You know, would probably be going unfor- like unforgotten. 
um, with a few people, but he was very handy in the air. And, I and think, still is. In fact, I think there yeah. was a statistic last week released that he's basically still winning the most headers in the division and still he's like the most sort of like random weapon in the division still for scoring goals from expected set plays and things, which is, mm. you know, it's no mean feat, even if you are six foot six. <laughs> he's got a fair header on him, that's for sure. I feel, I feel like... Aaron Hughes was sort of understated at how good he was in the air. I think he was he could be he could have been quite dominant at, at times. Um and maybe slipped under the radar, but I don't I don't think you can see past McBride and, and Mitrovic and I think uh for this one I'm going to go for McBride. See, I actually went down the route that you didn't. I went with Hangeland. Um when I originally pitched this, I did mean heading in terms of uh, an opposition box. And, and then I thought uh. about it a bit more. And then I was like, well, heading works both ways. And then I remembered how many goals Hangelin scored. And there was a season or two where he was basically a fantasy football cheat code because he'd <laughs> score like six, seven headers a season and he'd be, he'd be absolutely worth his weight in goals as well as the time we were, we were quite good defensively. So we didn't concede as many as we have in recent years. Um, but I just remember him being just impossible to mark at corners. And I remember watching corner after corner go in and be like, well, we're going to score in a minute because we've got Hangeland. And, you know, we saw him score in, in big games against big teams, against good teams and, and important goals as well. You know, you think back to the Europa run and you, you think of some of the goals that he nodded in, especially in the group stages. And you're like, oh, actually, that was, they were very, very important goals. And, and so Hangeland stood out for me. I think what you said there, though, was interesting, Ben, about Aaron Hughes uh, because... He actually was also a very good header of the ball, but next to Hangeland, he kind of goes forgotten a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's the point I was trying to make. I feel like oftentimes it's Hangeland that gets a lot of the plaudits when Hughes was, I wouldn't say as good, but he was almost at a level with him. And some of the things he'd done just sort of went under the radar. I think a lot of people could potentially forget how much of a, a classy defender he was at times. Absolutely. Well, let's keep things moving. So there's three different answers there. Dom, you've gone for Alexander Mitrovic, Ben, Brian McBride, and Breda Hangeland for myself. Let's move things on. Ben, I'm going to start with you this time. Left yep. peg. Well, for left peg, um, I've got so many written down, mainly because Fulham haven't had that many good players, and when they are good players, they almost always tend to be left-footed. I think it's mainly because a left-footed player, when you see them, are so rare that they stand out above the rest. So when I was racking my brains earlier about left, left foot, there were countless people that came up um for like defending and distribution i had tim ream i think he's got an excellent left foot on him obviously there's tom kenny uh musa dembele uh brian ruiz um in there as well who, who was definitely good at using his left foot and although not taken to as well by the fans i think like his left foot was was magic at times i'm finding it really hard to choose between all four of them to be honest so I may have my final answer after Dom's put his in Dom I, I th assume you haven't put Tom Kearney in your list no I, I think it for me it was it was only one player I thought of when I thought of left foot and that was Louis Saha yeah although Louis Saha just scored goals with both feet yeah no he's, he's completely both footed but I mean if we're if I was picking if I'm looking at all the, again looking at all the other categories and trying to find the perfect footballer to fit Louis Saha in I'd put it on the left peg but I think you know for me, there wasn't anyone, anyone else sort of that close to him. And, you know, I think with the likes of Brian Ruiz and Moussa Dembele, you know, you can have them in as physicality and passing, uh, dribbling and, and things like that. But, yeah, for me, I think it, it, the person that came straight to my mind straight away, 
and it, it was Louis Saha. Beaumorte came came to my mind as well. But um, yeah, for me, it was had to be Louis Saha. At one point, I think it must have been around 12 to 14, that kind of era, Fulham had so many left-footed players. And I remember having a real issue with playing for, with Fulham on FIFA and basically be like, who goes on the right? Because we had so many footballers who were just like, right, and they're all left-footed, Ruiz, and, and all of the players around him. Petric was there at that time, and you were like, where do, we, where do we fit everyone in here? This is all quite difficult, but we were very much like a left-footed side. To go back to your point, Ben, and, and to go back to your argument, I suppose, a little bit, do you think we kind of revere left-footed players a little bit more because of the very nature that they're more rare. I mean, you very rarely hear someone say, oh, he's got a wand of a right foot. Yeah, I think we do. I think it's just because I think there's an overwhelming majority of right-footed players that you sit there and think, oh, he's obviously a magician with the football. But when you see a left-footed player, because it's so out of the norm, I think your, your brain almost automatically sits there and thinks, this guy is completely different to anyone I've seen there. I think one of the reasons why I enjoy watching Tom Kearney so much is because it seems out of the norm to see a guy with the ball his left foot spraying passes where as most teams have that right-footed player in that position. It's like I think a southpaw also, boxer. Yeah, it's like it's something completely different. Yeah, like you said, like a southpaw boxer or, you know, like a spin bowler in cricket. It's just something completely different, but it shows a level of technique that could potentially be seen as above the other, yeah, yeah. which I think is why a left footers are so, are so massively revered. Well, who are you going to go for then, Ben? I think uh, I'm going to go for TC in this one. Dom will probably have my guts here, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go for Tom Kearney. I'm going to join you, actually. Um, even though I, I love Louis Saha and he is in my side, although he, he makes it in a different category. Um, but, but just in terms of watching TC whip the ball, I think yeah. there are very few players we've had with the capacity to kind of come back over themselves. The way that the TC hits the ball where he, he sort of curls back. And I think one of my favourite Tom Kearney goals, and well, maybe one of the most underrated, especially given the game it came in, was the first goal in the two-all draw with QPR, where he yeah. has the ball on the floor and he just cuts it back across into the near post. And obviously that game didn't end well. And there's obviously the Adoy mistake and all of these things. But it was just the way that he was just like, I'm going to score. It, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to score here. And... You know, some of the ones that overshadow it, obviously the leads go, obviously the big whips into the top corner yeah. are the ones that get the get the highlight reels, get the players. But that goal where he's sort of just on the floor and there was like three options ahead of him as well. He could have just like laid it into Cess and there was people running and he was like, no, nah, I'm just obviously going to score here. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's a massively underrated like part of the left foot because normally you're like, oh, it should be going across the keeper, but it's not, it's coming back towards him and it, it just looks weird. And I, I love that so much. But anyway, enough about TC. Right foot. Don Betts, hit me. Uh, so I had two written down here. I started off with Dimitar Berbatov. Obviously, he wasn't everyone's favourite player, but I think you know he's probably the most technically gifted player the club's seen. Um, but, you know, if, if you throw it away back to the likes of Johnny Haynes, I guess. But, yeah, Dim Dimitar Berbatov I had there. I also had also Clint Dempsey down as well, just because of how many goals he scored uh, over that, you know, three or four year period. So, yeah, for me, it was between Berbatov and Clint Dempsey. But I think Berbatov just edges it because, you know, all you need, all you need to look at is like, you know, that, that was it, the volley or half volley against Stoke at home, the, the amount of times he just completely takes the ball out of the air and completely kills the ball. So, yeah, for me, Dimitar Berbatov. Ben? Uh, I only had two players written down for the right foot. Um, one was Clint Dempsey and the other one was Ross McCormack. I think 
when I when I think of Clint, I think of the the cu- last couple of years we had him where he was banging in free kicks for fun. There was a free a wonderful free kick against Newcastle, I think, a wonderful free kick against Sunderland, an excellent free kick against Bolton, um, and so many crashing finishes from Dempsey. I think he um, also had the the technique in that right foot to hold up play and and spread it as well and I think we saw his exploits for the for the USA sort of backing that up and but I, I think for me in terms of what Ross did the amount of goals he scored where he scored them from how he scored them the amount of free kicks he scored the vision the passing that he has um the way he almost single-handedly kept us up I, I think I'm going to go for Ross McCormack here he's no and that takes a lot for me to say because he's no by no means one of my favorite players but I think his right foot is is nearly unrivaled at Fulham. Yeah, I mean, I only had one player written down, and it was Dimitar Berbatov. Um, I just think that you look at things like the touch, as well as the goals. You know, the touches, the way he just killed the ball dead, the ability that the man had was just absolutely outrageous, frankly. And you know, it's easy to think of him and think back about the weird kind of schism in the dressing room that passed me the ball that you know, the not tracking back, all of those things. But ultimately, for like a year and a half, we had one of the most talented footballers we've ever, ever, ever had at the cottage, just sort of strolling around, sauntering about, doing his thing. And I cannot look past that. I think that the way that he struck the ball, the way that he caressed penalties home, all of them in one go for me just meant that it was was a kind of shoe-in. It was a lock. Something that's interesting, though, is I've just thought that the next category is passing. Mm. And, and I guess this is a trickier one now, given that vision has already gone, I think, because so much of what you expect from, from passing is those kind of killer balls into the channels, the, you know, the, the through balls, the crosses, all of those things. But, but I'm going to just ask you for a straight pass for the ball. And Ben, I'm going to start with you this time. I think this is one of the categories where I struggled really really badly because there's so many of the players we've 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 mentioned so far that can fall into this category and a few of the obvious ones are Murphy McCormack uh there's Moussa Dembele you could have in there there's Tim Ream that you could have in there McDonald and I'm again the same as I was with, with the left foot I'm really struggling now to make this a sort of like oh I'm gonna pick him and it's done so I think I might I might need Dom's swaying on this as well Dominum. I've gone for, he's not an immediately obvious one, but I think he's one of the most accurate crosses of the ball and his set his, his position, his, his ability at set pieces, whether that's free kick or corners, I think has got to come into it now. And that was Simon Davis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know, because obviously when you think of passing, your mind instantly goes to old creative midfielders, uh, especially through the centre. But I think, you know, Simon Davis, you know, I think he, he's not underrated. He's definitely a fan favourite and, you know, he took a, he came when we were rubbish in 07 08 and was one of our best players in that Europe League run. But I think one thing that people I don't, they probably do remember about, but I think, you know, his ability to find the right pass when he needed to was pretty much second to none from what I've seen. So I went straight with Simon Davis. But yeah, but I didn't really have anyone else written down just because I had Danny Murphy already written down for vision. Well, I'll take it on from you if Ben is struggling to decide. And this is where I have Murphy. Um, and I think that the key to this is I didn't remember. I don't remember. Obviously, there is the ball in the Hamburg game, but aside from that, I don't remember Murphy being that kind of arrow straight. Those bullets kind of into into the champs. What I remember Murphy being unbelievably good at was recycling the ball. 
and just making sure that things kept ticking over, that kept possession rolling. And I think that you're right, Ben. Kevin McDonald is someone that should be considered in this category because what Kevin McDonald does in terms of passing the ball is not particularly, you know, eye-inspiring. It doesn't it doesn't shock anyone. But what he does is he keeps the ball moving so 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 well. And 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 similarly, Stefan Johansson at his prime, you know, just kept creating triangles, kept creating passing lanes. And just working the ball around. And I think we were very, very good at that for a while. But I've gone for Danny Murphy here because I think in terms of where I saw his passing, vision wasn't it. But in terms of keeping us ticking, he was number one for me here. Yeah, I, I completely I completely get where you're coming from here. And I think this, is, this might have to be where I choose uh, Kev. I think there's, there's an argument to say, and we sort of call him Scottish Busquets, sort of like a tongue-in-cheek thing on Instagram and various social platforms just for the banter. And obviously, we did ask him via Fulham, um, did he like being called the Scottish Busquets? And he and he laughed. But I think there is definitely some sort of correlation, or although tenuous, to the fa- yeah, the, so the way that true. yeah that McDonald and, and and Busquets play. They sort of do the the nitty-gritty things that no one really talks about. The like you said, the recycling, the passing, the stretching of play. Um, acting as that anchor and I think yeah over the past three or four years he's been one of our most consistent passes I'll go I'll go with Kevin McDonald on this one then excellent well we are over halfway uh, and it takes us on to pace Dom and I assume that both of you will be thinking of the same player here so I'm going to throw to you Dom Betts to start us off uh, I, the first player that came to my mind was Ryan Fredericks um like it's a weird one. I don't think we've necessarily had loads of rapid players like over the last twenty years or so. I don't think like we've we've had you know I don't know if you compare it to some English players like Theo Walker or an Alan Lennon sort of type player who is simply rapid. But I went with Ryan Fredericks just because he's the. I, I guess he, he's with a lot of these. I sort of have gone with just the first player who sort of come to mind because I think that's probably one of the best ways to really choose it really but yeah I went with Ryan Fredericks because you know his footballing ability may not get him into dribbling or passing but um his, his sheer pace was 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 sort of there to be seen I think that is actually what got got him out of a lot of mishaps that he made was that sheer pace to be able to get back and get back into position often what you see Carl Walker doing for Man City in England sometimes is that he's not necessarily the best technically at defending but you know that sheer pace gets him uh, back into position so yeah pace I went with Ryan Fredericks frightening as the song says Ben were you similar yeah the, the first one I wrote down was Fredericks I think obviously we can go we, we can talk about Fredericks uh, as long as the, as long as the night is but when we look at pace I also think um, that we should probably be considering someone like Sonia Luco who did have really good pace over short bursts um, Florida Ite did as well uh, Ab- Abubakar Kamara in the current team also has pace to burn but I think, as Dom highlights, and rightly so, like we've never been a team that are massively quick in terms of having hugely pacey players. I think only recently, in the past, sort of like Yukanovic, Jira, and then into Parker, have we have we really got players that have pace to burn? And before that, we we sort of played a very lethargic style of play where we would move it around the box, or it's a very simple style of play under Hodgson, and we never really had that extreme express pace to. Um, sort of exposing another team, so yeah, I think it's probably going to be uh, what between Fredericks and Abu. But then obviously you've got Sahar as well, and Bo- and Boa Morte was pretty rapid in his day. So yeah, but I don't think you can see past Fredericks. 
Yeah, I, I went for Louis Saha here. This was where I thought that he, he fitted into my, my equation because I, I just remember that kind of explosive first start where, you know, you, you see those goals against Man United in that first game we spent in the Premier League and you're like, well, he's just absolutely burned everyone. And, and I think that immediate shock to the system where you were just like, well, he's actually lightning. Is, is is something that I've never really got over. I, I don't know. It, it, that's my lingering memory of Saha. And obviously we've spoke about it before, but Saha was such an all-round player and he, he had so many facets to his game in terms of he could shoot from inside the box, he could shoot from outside the box, he, he scored headers, he scored, you know, he's got goals with his feet, he, he got in the right positions, he got in behind, he dropped off. But the thing that always stands out to me is just how quick he was over the first couple of yards. And part of that is anticipation, of course, and, and learning how to read the game and those things. But just the way that he was able to just get in front of players has always been something that stood out to me. And I think that if, for my player, I want them to be explosive off the mark. I want them not to have IT band problems constantly, <laughs> um, which is an issue with Ryan Fredericks. Um, but, I, but yeah, Louis Saha for me, I think. Uh, it, the kind of pace I want. It wasn't necessarily, you know, he was going to run for days. It's not like Kamara who can chase the entire pitch down in, in one go. Um, but it was just that kind of intelligent, explosive nature of, of Saha that really stood out to me. Um, which leaves us with two left, interestingly. And I'm going to go, you spoke about Sonia Luko in, in that one, Ben. Uh, he yep. probably, could, probably is in this category as well, dribbling. Yeah, I, I would say he was in dribbling. My only problem with Sonia Luko is that he often didn't do very much with, with the ball when he was dribbling. It seemed to be down dark alleys and he didn't particularly use it very wisely and um, unfortunately didn't live up to his sort of technical ability at times for Fulham. I, I do 100% get why, what he done for us in that playoff in that playoff run. Um, but unfortunately for him, there's there's one guy that overshadows him completely and there's only one world-class dribbler we've had at Fulham, in my opinion, and that's Moussa Dembele, the Belgian. Very good. Um, Dom, who do you have here? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I think it might go a little bit further back. Um, when when it, Dribblers was a weird one because obviously you speak about Moussa Dembele and you know, it's whether, you, whether I think we've had better physical players than him or better dribblers than him. In, in dribbling, I did have Dembele down, but it's weird. I feel like we've had two really good dribblers. They just weren't that good at doing it at Fulham. Because I, I, I think I feel like Tarapt and Brian Reeves were very good dribblers. They just didn't show it necessarily at Fulham. If you're looking at dribbling and you look at, you know, Brian Reeves uh, at FC20 before he joins Fulham, he was he was sensational. And then, you know, what he did at, even at 2014 World Cup with Costa Rica. So it was a tough one, but I ended up choosing... Uh, Moussa Dembele here just because for the reason that Ben said is that no one even comes close to him when it comes to dribbling whereas I think when it comes to physicality I think we've had some very good physical players who could if you're just expressing the physical side of the game could we put could we put it so for me I'm, I just went with the fairly obvious option and easy option of Moussa Dembele yeah I I didn't I kept him he is um, in my final category I, I think Sean Aluko I think you're absolutely right Ben he often dribbled down dark alleys but he yeah. was bloody good at finding his way out of them at times it looked <laughs> like he could dribble his way out of a post box it, you know he was unbelievably good with the ball at feet someone else who obviously never got to fulfill his potential and, and, and arguably still hasn't um, but was unbelievably good with the ball at feet was Patrick Roberts and I think that 
there still is, you know, elements when Patrick Roberts on the ball, you know, yes, he's been kind of dropping down the divisions. Yes, he's been kind of a little bit out of the game. But I do think that still on the ball, he's an absolute nightmare to defend against because of the way that he, he shuffles the ball between his feet. Uh, and he still is very, very difficult to tackle. Someone else that completely never reached their potential, potentially, but was unreal, just not for Fulham and, and maybe never for anyone, really, was, was Gail Kakuta. Gail Kakuta, yeah. I think, on, in a one-on-one, was probably like one of the best players I've ever seen. I remember him coming on for his debut against Newcastle and dribbling his way around five players and basically being like, oh my God, we've got the next Lionel Messi on our hands. And then obviously he didn't do anything ever again for anyone until he basically popped up in League Arm recently and started doing slightly better. Um, but I still think that on pure ability, Gail Kakuta, potentially one of the best. I think one player that, if we're just looking at dribbling alone and if every game was against Chelsea, put Karen Fry in. Because, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the only game he ever, he ever turned up. One, one other game that sticks out of Karen Fry was when we beat Arsenal 2 at home when Sidwell and Zamora both scored. I stand by. I think I presume it was Martin. I think it was Martin Yell managing at that point. Um, yeah, I, think, I feel like he, he brought Karen Fry on to purposely get Johan Juru sent off because he was already on a yellow card and told him just to run and dribble at him. And then obviously he got that second yellow card. They went down to 10 men and then Zamora scored in the last minute to win us the game. So I think if you're just looking at that sort of dribbling alone, Karen Fry is a, a decent shout. But yeah, I did stick with Moose Dembele in because I wanted to put Brian Ruiz, but I never felt he quite, if we're looking at dribbling, he never quite did it at Fulham. I actually went for someone different, apart from all of those names. Uh, I've gone for Steve Malbronk, who I'm shocked has not been mentioned in another category, frankly. Um, although he was a bit sort of, I'm really good at everything. Um, I just think Steve Malbronk used to carry the ball so well. And not necessarily in kind of dangerous final positions, but actually in terms of the way he would sort of shape and then just beat a man and find a position. But he would be able to just sort of wiggle his way through channels constantly. And, and also then he moved to centre midfield and was really, really good at it there as well. Um, I think that's what made me forget him about being a dribbler is obviously his latter, t- his latter end of his career at obviously Leon, where he's more of a deep lying creative mm. midfielder. Yeah, he just sort of sprayed. But as a youngster, he used to absolutely fly around the pitch and... I've gone for prime Steve Malbronk in my dribbling category, which Good takes job. us on to the final one. And you two don't have Moussa Dembele here, which I do. So this is physicality. And I thought that for me, nobody has ever shown me the kind of ability in a physical sense that Moussa Dembele has. And I, I always go back to that game against Tottenham, which I'm 100% sure convinced them to buy him, where he basically just ran the show on his own. And he was just brushing off people. He was almost running through people at times. He was like, move out of the way. I'm going through yeah. there. That's my channel. And if you stand in my way, I'm just going to knock you over. And he did it with such elegance and such grace, with such brute force behind it, that no one in my head comes close to him in the ability, physicality-wise. It, you know, Even Mitrovic now, who uses his physicality to great effect, I think is often a little bit kind of bullish with it and gets free kicks given against him. And I think he's a little bit of a victim of his own success in that, in that regard. But on the whole, I don't remember free kicks being given against Moussa Dembele. I just remember him just bulldozing through people and the ref being like, well, obviously he's just run through you there, pal. So there's not much you can do about that. So I'm interested. Dom, who have you got? Um, so the reason, as I said, I didn't have Dembele here is because I feel like the other options you have for physicality are better than the other options you'd have for dribbling, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two players that sprung to my mind straight away was Papa Bupi Diop 
and Dixon Atuhu. <laughs> I just feel like there were just those enforcers in the middle of the park who had the strength and, as, as the topic suggests, the physicality it, to sort of block off anyone who came in their way in that midfield. But, yeah, so I in this I had sort of had written down Dembele slash, but I ended up choosing Dembele for dribbling. So, for me, in the physicality category, I ended up choosing Papabuka Diop. Ben, who did you go for? Um, I've got a couple of players marked down here. Um, I think sometimes when I think of physicality, I don't think it necessarily means like how strong you are. Um, I think when I look at physicality, I sort of look at more than just one category, like more, rather than how strong, how, how much you can put your body in the way. It's also, for me, it's about like acceleration and pace over short distances and how well you can hold up the ball, which is why I had Saha in there in the physical ca- in physical category as well as the pace category. Um, I felt like Saha was like a really physical kind of guy and that he would absolutely skin you alive but also have the strength to hold you off once you caught up with him. Um, I feel like this is really a toss-up for me between Saha and Mitrovic. Um, and I can't decide which kind of player I want in here, which is the, which is the hardest part. Someone who, who hasn't been mentioned here, who should probably get a mention, is uh, Sir Barrington Hales, uh, who was... You know, it once once you got anywhere near him, you were just you know, you weren't getting past. Barry Hales was an absolute warhorse, and mm. if he you know he just held defenders off for fun. And I think I remember watching some goals kind of later than I remember him playing for Fulham. In you know, in some of the seasons where you're like, hang on, he was still there and he was still scoring <laughs> goals. And just the the videos of him just backing into defenders, and the defenders just have no idea how to deal with him. And I do remember that being like very very enjoyable on rewatch. I think there's for me there's also a case to say that someone like Mahamadou Diara should be in there because um when he was fit um he was really really difficult to get off the ball I think the way he maneuvered his body and it was in a, a very similar way to Moussa Dembele and I don't think we've ever had anyone that sort of knows how to get their body in the way as as much as as those two did and haven't had that since then I think for me uh I'm going to go for Mitrovic in this one there we go. And that is all eight categories wrapped, locked and loaded. Your Frankenstein footballers are built. Uh, obviously, we're going to share these on social media and we will be asking you for your eight. So start thinking about that now. And uh, basically, that's us all wrapped. It is a, a short and sweet episode. It's been a lot of fun. I'm just going to finish by asking, Don, what are you going to do with your bank holiday? Drink, play football manager, same as I've done for the last month and a half. <laughs> Don't your existence sounds exceptionally sad and lonely. And I, I, as much as it sounds enjoyable, like I do worry a bit about you. Nah, it's fine. Yeah, when 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 I'm, my current aim is to try and win the World Cup with a team from every single continent. Done it. Done 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 two onto my third continent at the moment. So that's a really uh, extreme version of the Pentagon. Yeah, I know. Well, I, well, at the moment what? I'm just try, I'm basically trying to win the Champions League with a team from every major league in Europe, which I've done with Scotland, Germany, France, Portugal. Spain, and I'm currently in Italy. So, and I, I'm not that anyone really cares about the in-depth technicalities of my football manager say, which is currently in 2047. I was going to just but, about um... to ask what year you're <laughs> <ready>. <laughs> What team are you currently? Uh, Carpio. Oh, yeah, right. No, I don't like. I I like picking a team at the lowest possible division I can. It's not. It's no fun if you start in the top division, is it? No, could you make a good point there? Yeah, Ben, what are you up to? This weekend, I've got a route, um, a tour, a tour of Essex, um, and a, a friend of mine 
and me, we we meet up and we go out for a little cycle. And this week we're looking at the not so secret secret nuclear bunker in Kelvedon Hatch. Um, and then we'll be doing like a tour around the outside of uh, the outskirts of Essex and then back home. How many miles are you looking at or kilometers, should I say? I'm modern uh, in touch with the, the metric system. No, we like to keep it to miles, you know, because, uh, you know, Britain and all that. Um, last weekend we did 85, which was pretty good. Uh, I think we'll probably be doing around about 60 or 70 this weekend. Last weekend we went to see uh, the delights of Canvey Island, which is a notorious shithole, and a uh, fort in Tilbury, which is also a notorious shithole. Well, I mean, he, um, as long as you're having fun exploring the notorious shitholes. Ben, can you start a new series called The Notorious Shitholes of Britain? <laughs> well, just Essex, yes, to be honest. I think you should start <laughs> filming them and putting Brand them on Instagram. Yeah, you wait until I go to Kent, mate. It's all over for them. I would listen. I would listen. Well, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it from us. All that's left for me to do is say thank you to Don Betts. It's all right. Thank you very much to Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And we will continue to try to provide content through this desert of football. Obviously, the Bundesliga back. We're going to find a Bundesliga team for everybody to follow. And until that point, stay safe, stay well, stay home. We'll see you soon. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. A-Cash, 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 A-Cash recommends. recommends.